Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. We are going to look at Revelation 2 and 3. You might say, well, Brother Corey, I thought we've already done that. Uh, Yes uh, and no. We've gone through all seven churches. uh, But what I want us to look at tonight is the composite meaning of those churches. I've entitled the message, The Holy Spirit's Message to the Church. Um, A number of years ago, some researchers wanted to do an experiment to see what kind of effect hope has on people that are in hardship. And so when they thought about the things they had in mind to test that, they went to a lab and they got two groups of rats and they put both groups of rats in a tub of water. So you got two groups of rats and two groups uh, in two tubs of water. And uh, they left one group alone in the water and found out that within an hour they all drowned. Uh, but the second tub, they would periodically go to, to that tub of water and they would lift the rats out of the water and then they would return. And what they learned is that second group of rats swam for over 24 hours. And you might go, my goodness, in one hour, this group, they're all drowned. And this group here, 24 hours, boy, they're still going. And they concluded that the reason why these rats made it was not because they had a rest, but if they swam long enough, somebody came and lifted them out and they had hope. And so if the animals could hang in there just a little bit longer, they had hope because somebody would reach down and pick them up out of that, that tub of water. And their conclusion was, if hope holds that kind of power for rodents, then how much greater should hope be in our lives as humans? And I would agree. Um, one night at, at, a, at a dinner, a man was talking about a town that he grew up in and how he, uh, he was fascinated how it had been flooded and became part of this huge lake that the, the locals had been working on building. But months before all that happened, when the decision was made, you know, it, it was published everywhere. And he says it was sad to see the transformation that took place in this community. Their community basically had been, you know, voted on to, it was so small that they was going to make it into a lake. It'd be underwater. And so almost overnight, you could see how hope just disappeared because, you know, houses that needed to be painted, trash that needed to be picked up, all of a sudden the attitude became, well, what's the use, right? Uh, it, It doesn't matter anymore. And he told that story and he said this as a, observation he says when there's no faith in the future there's no power in the present and so tonight what I want to talk to you about is the hope that we have in Christ the future that you and I have to look forward to and when we have a hope and when we have a future to look forward to then that helps us get through what we're going through we're going to look in Revelation 2 and 3 collectively at the seven letters to the seven churches I'll remind you that when you read Revelation 1, uh, verse 4, uh, Jesus wrote this, uh, or Jesus gave this letter to John, and he says, to the seven churches in Asia. And so this, uh, this letter, the entirety of the, of the book of Revelation, 
was given to John from Jesus to go to these seven churches. Not just these individual letters that you see that are a few verses long in chapters 2 and 3. Now, here's why this is important. Because many times, and maybe you have done this, I know when I was growing up in church, I heard this. There were some that, that taught that these seven churches represent the church age, okay? And that they represent uh, different eras, okay? These seven churches represent different eras of the church age. That might make sense if you look at half of church history. What's happened in America, what's happened in Europe. But what about the rest of the globe? Uh, I would submit to you uh, that there's no warrant for that. When we, when we interpret Scripture, we look at what does the Bible say? What does it mean? Uh, this book was written to seven actual churches. Uh, you can go back in history and find them on a map. And when they received this letter from the Lord to them, it was rooted in their physical... Um, time and space, okay, to a literal place on the map, a literal people at a point in time. Um, these letters describe the present state of the church, and uh, they point to promises and fulfillments. So let me show you what I mean. Look, if you will, in Ephesians, Ephesians, Revelation 2, the church of Ephesus, okay, Revelation 2, the church of Ephesus, and I want you to look at verse 7. Uh, you'll, you'll notice as we go through these that all seven churches are given a promise by God and they all have this qualifier. In verse 7 it says, Let anyone who has ears to hear to listen to what the Spirit says to the churches, plural, to the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Now, that letter was to a single individual church in Ephesus, okay? But when he's done, he says, Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. And so there is an individual meeting, uh, meaning that each one of these letters has to each one of these seven churches. And then there's a collective composite meaning that God is saying, I want you to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to all seven of these churches because it speaks to the universal church at large and not just an individual local church. And so here he says, uh, if you uh, overcome, if you conquer, then I will give you the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And if you jump to the end of the book, Revelation 22, the very last chapter, uh, the very first couple of verses, uh, John writes, And then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the city's main street, the tree of life. There it is. It was mentioned in, uh, uh, to the church at Ephesus there in Revelation 2-7. And now here it is. The tree of life was on each side of the river bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for healing of the nations. And then, of course, uh, toward the end of the chapter in verse 14, uh, Revelation 22, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. And so the tree of life is in the paradise of God, whereas the paradise of God, it's the holy city, 
the new Jerusalem. Okay, so what what um, what uh, Jesus is pointing the church at Ephesus to is ultimately the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem. Okay, no more tears, no more shame, no more sin, no more death, no more sorrow, all that stuff. Okay, and that's pretty awesome. And so the tree of life is something that we need to be aware of. And if, if we think about the tree of life, it goes back to what? The very beginning in the garden. You remember the story about the tree of life, correct? Uh, if you eat from the tree of life, you live forever. And uh, yet after the fall, uh, God banished Adam and Eve from the garden so they wouldn't eat of the tree of life. Uh, many people go, well, that's, that's a bummer. Well, no, actually that was grace and that was mercy because had mankind eaten of the tree of life, in a fallen, sinful state, then it would be hell on earth. But now we know that Christ comes to redeem us, to save us, and then when we become saved, we're born again, okay? Now we can inherit eternal life. We, can, we have the right now to eat of the tree of life and live forever in a redeemed state, and that's certainly eternal blessing right there. Um, the second church... We'll look at these quickly. The second church is the church of Smyrna. And if you'll look there in uh, verses 10 and 11, don't be afraid, Jesus says, of what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for 10 days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Okay, I want you to zero in on crown of life. And then he says, let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches, plural, and the one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. And you really can contrast crown of life versus second death. Okay, And um, when you look at Revelation 20, verse 14, it says death and Hades at the the final judgment, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, Revelation 20, 14. And this is the second death, the lake of fire. So what is the second death? It's the lake of fire. It's what we would call hell. It is the ultimate destination of those that do not know God. Okay, And so we have such wonderful future to look forward to. As believers in Christ, we have not only the tree of life, and the crown of life, and we don't have to worry about a second death. Okay? That's good, isn't it? All right? That's why we look at this collectively. Okay? We're seeing the collective picture of what Christ promises to His church. All right? The third church is Pergamum. Pergamum, chapter 2, verse 17. Let anyone... You'll, you'll, you'll get tired of me saying this, but He says it to all seven churches. Let anyone who has ears to hear... Listen to what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone. And on the stone, a new name is inscribed that no one knows except the one who receives it. Now, you're not going to find much about the hidden manna or the white stone, but the new name you find in Revelation 22, verse 4, it says that they, referring to believers, will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. And so this idea of a name is there. 
you know, one of these days we will uh, bow at the feet of Jesus, the name above every name, and he's going to give us a name. And that's what it's saying there. And so that's pretty awesome. Um, the fourth church is Thyatira. And if you'll look in Revelation 2, verse 26, in verse 26, he says, The one who conquers and who keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations. And then it's almost like a parenthesis, almost, because at that point it quotes the Psalms, and this applies to the Messiah, who is Jesus, when it says, And he will rule them with an iron scepter. He will shatter them like pottery, just as I have received this from my Father. So Jesus is saying, if you overcome, you're faithful to the end, then I'm going to give you the same authority over the nations that was given to me by the Father. Okay, And I will give him the morning star, and we'll find out that the morning star is Jesus. In other words, we will rule and reign with him. Revelation 20 talks about that. Verse 6, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with Him for a thousand years. And then Revelation twenty-two sixteen, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest to these things to you for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. And so who's the morning star? Jesus is. You have the fifth church. And now we're in Revelation chapter 3. So the fifth of seven churches, um, that is Sardis. And look, if you will, in Revelation 3, verse 5 and 6. In the same way, the one who conquers or overcomes will be dressed in white clothes. And I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Now you kind of notice the, the order's changed a little bit now. Now he's saying, you know, let anyone who has ears to hear uh, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. He says it at the end of what his, you know, challenge is instead of at the beginning. But it's still there. And so to the church in Sardis, he talks about the book of life, how he'll never erase your name from the book of life if you are saved and you're a child of God. And we see there in Revelation 20, verse 15, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Uh, I know that's a little redundant. If your name's in the book of life, you don't have to worry about the second death, which is the lake of fire. But if your name's not in the book of life, then guess what? Then it will be the lake of fire. All right, number six of seven churches, the church of Philadelphia. Look, if you will, in Revelation 3, 12 and 13. He says, the one who conquers or overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches, and that's plural. So this is a message for the universal church and not just a singular message to a, a local church in Philadelphia. 
And so what is he talking about here? He's talking about, um, uh, you know, being a pillar in the temple. He's talking about the new name, but it all revolves around the city of his God, the new Jerusalem. And uh, we uh, miss hearing our choir sing about that, don't you? But um, Revelation 21, verse 1 through 3, John says, I saw a new heaven. And a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and He will live with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and will be their God. And so... When you see the new heaven and the new earth arrive, what do you see? A heavenly city, a heavenly city, a holy city, the new Jerusalem. Now, we're up to the last of the seven churches, and that is Laodicea. Look, if you will, in Revelation 3, 21 and 22. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on His throne. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. We'd already talked about having authority over the nations a few churches back. Now he's saying that we will sit with Him on His Father's throne. We will rule and reign with Him. So when you put all this together, let's recap very quickly. I zeroed in on one main thought on each of these seven, if you want to write these down. God's promise to the universal church is if we, if we overcome through Christ, okay, if we conquer the things we got to face in this life and we overcome through Christ, then we have this to look forward to. The tree of life, the crown of life, a new name, authority over the nations, the book of life, the new Jerusalem, and sitting with Jesus on His throne. Wow! Isn't that awesome? I don't know about you, but uh, particularly in this uh, crazy and turbulent time that we're living in, when we look at you know things that are going on in the world right now, just think, when Christ comes back, when He rules and reigns, we will be with Him. And that's going to make all the difference in the world. Now, how do we understand this part of the book and its connection to the rest of the book? Well, I'm glad you asked. Well, again, I'll go back to chapter 1 for a brief moment and look in verse 4 through 6. This is the prologue, the introduction, the very beginning of the book, and it lets you know who it's from and who it's to, and it's the whole book. It's not just this little section. He, Jesus says, John... To the seven churches in Asia, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This book of the Bible is here for God's people. It is for the church. Okay, It's for seven actual churches in Asia. 
But then when you read those seven specific letters to those churches in Asia, the Spirit of God has a word for all churches, not just that individual local church, but for the entire universal church, okay? Which includes you and me. And he says here, this is from God, okay? It's from God, it's from Jesus, it's from the Holy Spirit. All that's wrapped up there uh, in the seven spirits before His throne from Jesus Christ and, uh, and from the Father. And it says that He has set us free from our sins, by His blood, and He's made us a kingdom. And so we're seeing the kingdom that's been inaugurated will one day be consummated, and we get to be a part of that. Well, here's what I want you to see. There are four visions, okay? There are four visions in Revelation. And when I point these out to you, I hope you realize that they kind of mark the uh, framework, if you will, of the letter, Okay? Let me show you what I mean. For instance, the first vision in Revelation is here in chapter 1. Uh, John's vision of the risen, glorified Christ. There in chapter 1, verse 9, John writes, I, John, your brother and partner in the affliction, kingdom, and endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet saying, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. And it names them by name. And then, of course, when he turned, he saw the risen, glorified Christ. So what do we see in this first vision? I'm going to point these out because in all four visions, you're going to see similar elements, okay? For example, in this first vision, verse 10 he was in the Spirit, okay? He received this vision when he was under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He was in the Spirit. Where was he at? According to verse 9, he was on the island called Patmos. And what happened? In verse 10, he heard a loud voice like a trumpet. And what was he told? In verse 11, to write on a scroll what you see. Okay, what you see. All right, that's the first vision. Now, the second vision in Revelation, you have to jump to Revelation chapter 4. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, After this I looked, and there in heaven was an open door. The first voice that I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and there was a throne in heaven, and someone was seated on it. Now, what do we have here? In the second vision, very similar to the first, he was in the Spirit. There in verse 2, immediately I was in the Spirit. So again, he received this vision from God while he was under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Where did this take place? In verse 2, in heaven, he was told, come up here. And he's in heaven and he sees a throne and someone seated on it. So he's in heaven. And what did he hear? He says, according to verse 1, the first voice. Remember the last vision, the first vision? The first voice that I heard speaking to me, like a trumpet. Same, same voice. In other words, Jesus, who, who gave him the first vision where he saw the risen, glorified Christ, now in vision 2, it's still the risen, glorified Christ, okay? And he's saying, come up here in heaven. I want to show you something. 
And what was he told? Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. All right. Now let's look at the third vision. Now we have to jump to Revelation 17. Revelation 17, beginning in verse 1 through 3. Revelation 17, verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me. Come, I will show you the judgment of the notorious prostitute who is seated on, seated on many waters. And the kings of the earth committed sexual immorality with her, and those who live on the earth became drunk on the wine of her sexual immorality. And then he carried me away in the spirit to a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. Now, this is the third vision. Now, let's look at it and let's ask the same questions that we have on the previous two. Um, first of all, notice that he's in the spirit. There in verse 3, says he was in the spirit when he received this vision. Have you noticed a common refrain yet? Every time he gets a vision, he's in the Spirit, and he receives this vision from God. Now, where was the location of this vision? It was in a wilderness. There in verse 3, it says, He carried me away in the Spirit to a wilderness. And uh, who spoke to him? According to verse 1, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke to him. So now the speaker has shifted from Jesus to one of the angels. And what was he told? There in verse 1, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the notorious prostitute. Now, let's jump to the last one, the fourth vision that you'll find in Revelation. And that is Revelation 21. Revelation 21, verse 9 and 10. Then one of the seven angels who had, had held the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And then he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Again, just like we looked at the previous three, look at this fourth vision, it's in the Spirit. All four of these happen in the Spirit. There in verse 10, uh, he was carried away in the Spirit. So he's under the influence of the Holy Spirit when he receives this vision. Where is the location of this vision? According to verse 10, he was taken to a great and high mountain. And who was speaking to him? One of the seven angels, and he qualifies it, who held the seven bowls with the seven last plagues. That one came and spoke to me in verse 9. And what was he told? He was told in verse 9, Come, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And so you put these four visions together. One is of the risen, glorified Christ. Two is, come to heaven and see me on the throne, because I want you not to forget that everything that's going to take place in the future, don't forget that I'm still in control. And then the other two visions, one is of the judgment of a great prostitute, and that's compared and contrasted to the bride, the wife of the Lamb. That's a wonderful way to look at Revelation, these four visions. Um, why am I telling you this? Because 
it's important for us to understand how the book shifts from a vision of Christ in chapter 1, some words to seven churches in chapters 2 and 3, and then we just step out into chapter 4 and go to the end of the book and we're, our heads are spinning and we're like, what's going on? Uh, some people teach, and I sat under this once upon a time a long time ago, some people uh, teach that you know these seven churches are seven ages of church history and then in Revelation 4 verse 1 is the rapture of the church. And there's no warrant for that. That's why I wanted you to see these four visions is because there's nothing very unique about this vision in chapter 4 verse 1 when you compare it to the other three visions in Revelation. In Revelation 4.1, after this I looked and there in heaven was an open door and the first voice I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I'm going to show you what must take place after this. I think we have to say, why is God using this language? Okay, let's look at it this way. Let's, uh, let's go in reverse for a minute. Revelation 21, verse 5 and 7. Let me read that and I'll connect some dots for you. In Revelation 21, verse 5, 6 and 7, Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. And he also said, Write, because these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, It's done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life the one who conquers, or depending on your translation, the one who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Well, clearly, in all seven churches that are mentioned in Revelation 2 and 3, all seven of them are given a word to him who overcomes, to him who conquers. And then the promise is pointed to the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, the last two chapters of Revelation, the end of the book. And you might say, if we're going through tough times now, we're told to overcome, to conquer, because that's the end and we're going to get there. But why, why did God give us Revelation 4 through 22 if we just go to heaven and we don't go through anything? See, here's what John says if you compare everything he writes, the gospel, his epistles, and then Revelation in John 16, he recorded Jesus saying, I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace. You'll have suffering in this world or trouble in this world, but be courageous, I have conquered the world. In other words, Jesus says, you're going to go through stuff in this fallen sinful world, but guess what? I have overcome the world. I have conquered the world. Jesus is our conqueror. He is the overcomer, and he's the trailblazer for us. In 1 John 5, that's John's epistle, 1 John 5, verses 3, 4, and 5, he says, For this is what love for God is, to keep His commands, and His commands are not a burden, because everyone who's been born of God, watch this, conquers the world. And this is the victory that's conquered the world, our faith. Who is the one who conquers the world? But the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And in the middle of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 10, uh, it says that they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the testimony, and they loved not their lives even unto death. In other words, they overcame because they were faithful to Christ. 
So my question is, if God is saying a word to these seven churches, to him who overcomes, my question is, overcomes what? And ultimately, to bottom line it, I would say, overcome the world. Because as long as the church is in the world, there is something to overcome. He's not going to uh, escape us from the world. Matter of fact, if you read the end of the book, he's coming to rule the world. He's coming to judge the world, okay? He's coming to uh, restore the world someday. And so here are some practical reasons why I think the book of Revelation is written for the church. And when I say the book of Revelation, I mean the whole thing. Chapter 1 to 22. A couple, three reasons. Number one, to strengthen the church against persecution. Uh, I think we're becoming more and more aware that in this day and time, that's becoming more and more of an anticipated experience here in America, unfortunately. Uh, believers have been persecuted in third world countries and other areas of the world, and it's heating up in, uh, in the United States of America, unfortunately. But this does not surprise our Lord Jesus Christ. He has this last word from his own lips here in the Bible, and he says to him who overcomes, you'll receive the crown of life. And so Revelation is to strengthen the church against persecution. It's also to help the church understand the hope of our future in Christ. You know, we, we are kind of like those rats. If we know that there's hope, we can go through a lot more than we ever thought we could. I mean, we've got the tree of life, the book of life, the crown of life, the, the heavenly city. We've got all of these things to look forward to if we will just be faithful to Christ. And then the third reason for the book of Revelation for the church is to encourage the church with God's promises. I mean, you've got seven of them right there in Revelation 2 and 3. To him who overcomes, he says, I will do this. Okay? And uh, as we go through the book of Revelation, you will see how um, the Lord treats his church. It's an age-old question. If you remember Abraham, when he had that heavenly vi uh, visit from, from God about lot in Sodom and he pleaded with him and asked him you know would you not destroy the city if there was 50 righteous people what about 40 30 10 or 20 and even 10 and he says even for 10 I want you know I want I'll spare the city I won't destroy it Abraham said won't you the the judge of the earth do right uh, aren't you going to distinguish the the wicked from the righteous and once you see revelation as you begin to see it unfold, you will see how he distinguishes between the wicked and the righteous. If that is concerned, I promise you as you read Revelation, it's very clear. He marks it out as we go along. So my, I guess my challenge for you tonight is simply this, is to look at Revelation 2 and 3 in two ways. Number one, is seven letters to seven actual churches that are mentioned by name but also hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church as collectively and even to us universally, to the church in all times and places. He has a word for us. And my challenge to you tonight is will you listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church, even our church, and overcome? Well, let's pray. Father, we come before you tonight. Thank you for this time in the Word. Lord, I pray that you would use it to encourage us, 
Lord, help us to dig in your word so that we can look at what your word says and not take it from anybody's perspective, but seeking you and trusting you and and wanting to do your will and your work. Father, I pray that you would just be with us tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.